Welcome to The Capital View, where business, economic, political and human capital intersect. Welcome to episode three of the Capital View. There's a lot that goes into podcasts, and I learned much over the first two interviews. How and where you record matters, as does listener engagement. While I've had a few follies, the interview was filled with interesting business thoughts, some poignant moments, and lots of laughs. I intend to deliver more going forward as I strive to make each edition better. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Kyle Ragsdale, the CEO of the Buffalo Agency. Buffalo is a unique agency that creates, celebrates, shares stories that amplify the positive experience of golf. Kyle understands the unique characteristics of golfers and through internal growth and savvy acquisitions, Kyle and his team are building the dominant agency in the business. So sit back, grab your cup of Joe and enjoy. I'll start the interview here. I'll start, I'll start the question. How um, has COVID, whatever you want to call it, this environment that we're in, COVID, politics, ha- has that changed your approach to investing or quality or in terms of like what you look at or like are you trying to play the other side of any of these things or you still just have a long view? It definitely changed in the first part of the year. I don't know if you call it phone call in March, which we're going to be on that. Um, that was more about just let's identify the healthcare matter here. Like, where are we going with this thing? And luckily, my brother and my father are both very accomplished physicians. And, you know, my father's retired. He's a neurologist. My brother's a cancer doctor here in town. I mean, they, they are, they're not necessarily in that particular COVID knowledge, but they know enough to know enough. Um, and so we were watching the John Hopkins data and looking at the vibe I got back at that day was this is going to be serious. It's probably going to spread like the flu as far as people are going to get it. But it looks like the mortality rate is going lower and lower and lower because the treatments are getting better. That's what we saw back in March. So what we did versus last year, as you know, we were pretty much the index. I mean, we used QQQs and it's fine. We also did the index works like 97% of the time. We as a group were like, there's going to be winners and losers coming. That is the Like if everybody's going to stay home, there's no and you've seen it this year. I mean, the winners have been, I mean, Zoom videos. And stuff. Yeah. Now, we didn't buy, you know, for us, our mantra is earnings and margin. It's really hard to buy a company that loses money forever. It's just hard for us to get that into the portfolio. So we didn't necessarily load up on DocuSigners because they don't make any money, but their sales went up. But, you know, Apple, Microsoft, Google, some of these names that are obvious winners, you're not going to not, you know, you're so going to use your phone more if you're not at the office. Those are really made sense to us. And so now, as you know, in your own portfolio, we're all individual equities versus the index. And I think that's going to be around for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think that, I don't know, going into, you know, the private equity side got a little bit more rational, as you know, from your world. Um, there kind of needs to be more of that, frankly. There needs to be a little more shakeout. And it'll be interesting how the next six months goes because now you're seeing real layoffs. I mean, yeah. I don't know what you guys had to deal with, but, you 
lot of companies are getting rid of 20, 30, 50, 50 60,000 people. That's real numbers. Yeah. So I see maybe that in unemployment rate going back up. I mean, we, we, we you, you were involved in most of those discussions, but we made the decision quickly. We responded really quickly on the work people business. So we responded really quickly in terms of adjustments there. But um, we were fortunate that we did not have to lay off a lot. I think um, out of 100 people, we ended up through furloughs and then ultimately, you know, five people. So that's fine. That's pretty that's, good. That's pretty good. Out, of out of 100. So, you know, so we're a small company, but holding on to that many now. People, everybody kind of rolled up their sleeves and took pay cuts and, you know, we're kind of working our way back from that. But that's, I guess that's the, um, I guess that's, there's, you know, everybody contributed to making that kind of number small. But So, I'm looking back, what was it, 2005, maybe, you hooked up with Four Strings? Yeah. That sounds about right? It sounds about right. Yeah. My, um, we, I did not, have, we did not, have, my daughter had not been born yet. And I just joined out there, yeah. And that must have been the Jeff. Had to be, had to be through. So the whole reason that I went to well, maybe it was like two thousand, might have been two thousand. It was two thousand five or six. But um, we at the time I worked for Georgetown. I came out of oh, business yeah. school and right. started my illustrious sports marketing career at Georgetown <laughs> as a kind of a consultant, and then eventually just kind of stayed on. But um, one of my projects was the golf team. Golf team didn't have a place to play. They were. That's right. Um, and so Jeff, who's still active with the Georgetown golf team, came to us and said, I've got an idea. It's a little bit of a drive from Georgetown, but not too bad. And so we ended up joining George, Georgetown team. We negotiated both Georgetown teams to play out there. We built a back practice area. And I was lucky enough to kind of be the appointee of all that. And then when I left Georgetown, I stayed. So. Tell me about Georgetown and like. I had been, I, you know, JB and Lex, we're down here in the South, you know, I'm splitting my records with 529s. I do recognize, it's a funny time now, I do recognize DC connections, New York, et cetera, maybe DC more than even New York. Um, but I also see a migration south from some of the most successful people like that. I'm just done with this lifestyle, you know, and it's interesting to see some of my friends, who's, you know, some of our friends at our age, their kids are starting college and they're going to club center. USC or maybe Georgia, they're not looking at Georgetown or Yale or Harvard. Not, not because they're not smart, they just don't want to be part of that part of the world. Yeah. Right? Um, but you still see Georgetown. Georgetown was a big influence on you. I mean, did you build a network? you think it was a critical part of your life? I, I believe that every one of those steps is kind of part of your brand, good or bad. So, like, um, so I think you, you, your resume kind of builds to your brand. Um, for me, my my brand was kind of all over the place uh, as a personal brand until I got to Georgetown. Really, so I um, I started I started my career with Ernst and Winnie, you know, way back when in the, in the late eighties of CPA and wasn't very good at it and kind of had an entrepreneurial bug and so tried some things and then eventually ended up at business school in Chicago. And business school kind of just level set for me, like kind of gave me a little bit of a clean slate. I'd done a lot of things. I'd done business development. I'd tried a startup. I would have this finance background as a CPA. And so that kind of just put, started to put the story together for me. My first proof point of that story was Georgetown. So like yeah. I, ha- I came into Georgetown when there was an interim athletic director. Um, again, sports marketing, I decided that was the path I was going to go down. Um, but... Uh, 
I came in through a board member named Ted Leonsis, who owns the Washington Capitals and the Wizards and yeah. the, uh, the arena and kind of is a prominent figure there. My wife worked for him at AOL. Is he a Georgetown guy? He's a Georgetown board member, Georgetown grad, really active. So I kind of had, um, I was totally empowered early on, even as an outsider, to kind of come in and kind of change some things. Was yeah. your, what was your school for? Was it you at Georgetown for undergrad? No, undergrad, I went to a little school called Evangel College in Missouri, and then I went to Northwestern for, for, for business school. And so, um, so that, you know, that, so Georgetown is kind of where I really, we showed quick success, like, you know, in kind of a your 200 year institution, and we, we made incredible progress in a really short period of time. I'm not going to take full credit for that because it was a perfect storm of like, it was a deteriorated product. Begin with, I mean, the arenas were, you know, five thousand people. The product on the court was not very good. The, there hadn't been a coordinated effort amongst the university to, to kind of do a lot of things. We kind of came in and just did a lot of things that, you know, just good smart practices to kind of pull all those things together. And, and uh, we stuck it together. And the next, you know, three or four years later, we were um, we had turned the department um, to where it was self sufficient. It had. Um, Sponsorship dollars were off the chart. We got lucky with a run to the Final Four, which helps everything. And, yeah, you know, um, I remember a nice ride. I went to CC down here, Charleston, in Charleston, in '93, and then in '97, then it was still not known at that stage very far. In '97, we went to the Final Eight. Yeah, and then uh, then it was just it was on. It was it's amazing how the sports programs sort of made the reputation. So that was the game plan. Or 2019, right? Now the game plan is who knows what this game, who knows what the kind of blueprint for for for, for colleges in general looks like. I agree with your point. Like heading south, heading rural um, is is it has to be the trend. That's the trend. That's what everybody is doing, real estate wise, right? Everybody is clearing out of big cities, moving to smaller. Yeah. So you cannot buy a house in Richmond right now. Yeah. And you're like, what's the draw in Richmond? Well. It's two hours away from Washington D.C., where I where I, where I still probably have my main job, yeah. but I don't have to be there very often. So yeah. therefore, I can drive up there once a week or once every two weeks. I don't have to live in Washington D.C. Um, yet I still kind of get the benefit. So so I think we're all kind of migrating away from city centers into something that's different, and I think colleges will follow. Well, what are you going to do with your children? I mean, what would you advise them to do from education? Do you send them to college? Like I have a friend here in town whose son is a great. Was a great coder, and he got a straight out, straight out high school got an eight thousand dollar year job coding. He said, "Do it, take it, and run and study. You know, do do school at night or whatever you do. Like that's fine. You're not going to make that money with a necessarily a degree." I I honestly have no idea. I mean, I'm still programmed in the old way. Like it matters, you know, that you go to school or where you go to school. I'm a hundred percent certain that's going to be challenged and different you know, in the next eight to 10 years when my kids go to school. My, um, my brother-in-law is a president of a university. And so we've had this conversation a lot and he feels like co he felt like this was coming, but it was coming 10 years from now. Yeah, yeah. And it COVID has just pushed it all forward. Like, do we really need this? And, you know, I, I don't know what the, I honestly don't know what the answer is. I hope, you know, I hope I, I, I loved, I'm kind of, I'm a learner type anyway. I'm a professor, kind of, kind of. I think that way, and I talk that way, and that's kind of how I process things. So, I hope, I hope it doesn't go away. College is fun. Well, I mean, 
surroundings, people, and interactions matter. Yeah. I think it's going to be trans. I mean, it's going to translate to college and you know, if you look down the street from our office here, two major five thousand person campuses yeah. have been shut down for seven months, and you drive by and they're empty. I mean, this is more yeah. It's like, like, what are they going to do? Right? I mean. Do you bring it back once a day, once a week? I mean, but the environment, and I think about the people that work with me and for me, if I don't have them around a bit, they're not learning. They may be doing their tasks, but they're not learning. And I'm not translating learning too. So any state, any college, I mean, they're they are they make their money, they pay their bills by not necessarily by tuition, because they're gonna do the tuition online. They they make their money on room and board, on, on books and with nobody staying and and kind of the food and beverage side, so they're yeah, they're I'm sure all their budgets are upside down. Well, I, thought, I thought it was interesting that, that pretty much every school said come back to campus, come back to school, pay the tuition, and they'll let you So you're tell me about golf in your life because obviously it dictates what you do now to some degree. We met at Four Streams. What, how did you become involved? What does it mean to you? Do you feel like there's any particular traits that brings out you and others? I mean, it's a unique sport. I, I go play by myself a lot just because I have this weird sort of independence and solitude. And people are like, you're teeing off by yourself. And I'm like, yeah, it's on purpose. <laughs> I love that you brought that because we know each other through golf. We've had some hilarious times on the golf course, which we might be able to, depending on how much of this we have, we might be able to share some of these. We've had some fun times and some tense times, but some challenging times, but we've definitely gotten to know each other better on a golf course. But my golf story, um, I'm really proud of this. I am am a golfer 100% just by sheer interest in the game. It attracted me early. My parents did not play golf. My parents were not members of a country club. Um, I was a great little baseball player as a, you know, as a 12, 13, 14 kind of travel kind of baseball kid. My dad was a baseball guy. And then I, I, uh, my uncle was the only golfer in the family. He sent me a set of golf clubs. I was hooked. We lived in a small town. I joined the nine hole golf course and self-taught. Um, when we moved to a little bit of a larger town, again, we didn't have the money to, I, 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 this is not, this is not bullshit. I, had a paper route in order to buy a membership to the only kind of private club in town. Because I knew I wanted that. I knew I wanted to be in that private club, not the. What newspaper was this? The Joplin Globe. Of course, <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. yeah, the Joplin Globe. It cost me three hundred fifty dollars to join that club and thirty five bucks a month, and cool, uh, and and so that and I was hooked on the game. So, um, it's amazing now if you fast forward from that point, if you fast forward almost whatever thirty five years that. Um, you know, I, my ideal job was to be a you know, marketing exec in a golf company yeah. and I turned out to be CMO, the largest golf course operations company in the, in the country. So it's just kind of a perfect golf is, is really important to me personally and really important to me professionally. I believe, here's what I believe. I think, um, there are very few, first of all, golf, you can play your entire life. We've all, sure. we both yeah. lived. You can, you can play. There's a lot of sports you can play young and old, um, but very few bowling, fishing, golf. I mean, I'll choose golf on that. <laughs> so, We've got a lot of fishermen in this yeah, spot. Yeah. No offense to the fishermen, but it's just, I, I, I'll, take, I'll take my career in golf. But um, I think, so, so you've got that side. Um, what is incredibly interesting, and the whole premise behind Buffalo Group, which you're a part of, is 
that golf is like none other in the way it engages the people that kind of play it. You're just you're when you are when you're a golfer, you're hooked. Whether that's to try and get better, or the camaraderie, or or not camaraderie, the solitude of being outside, um, just you know, kind of all the elements that kind of make golf wonderful also make it a really frothy marketing opportunity. Um, and so that's really the that's really the basis of Buffalo Group is that you kind of take what we love about sports marketing and take it to an entirely different level because golf is that engaged. And it's a really frothy place for brands to be if you do it the right way. And you see that. So give our audience a little bit of flavor, you know, who you guys are, the brands you hear, I guess the the companies underneath Buffalo Group and the audience that you really tend to right now. Yeah, so Buffalo Group, some people would call it a holding company, a roll-up, or, you know, that's kind of the corporate entity. Really, the way I would describe it, it's this collection of very unique agencies and media properties that speak to different audiences. Our biggest audience is golf. So we have um, we have, we have Buffalo Agency, which is a golf agency. We have 54 Brands, which is a golf B2B and kind of industry insider agency. You have Raw Murdy based right here in Charleston, which really focuses more on it, it has some golf in some of its amenitized properties, but it really is focused more on real estate and destinations. And then we've got a media property called Morning Read, which reaches almost a half million people a day, um, mainly with a golf publication, but we're, we're branching off now into autos and other hobbies. We do have a fisherman, um, a, 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 we do have a kind of fishing segment that's coming Pretty out soon. Yeah, one of my favorite segments. <laughs> So you stick it all together, and it's um, you know it's a it's a it's a it's a marketing agency that's really focused on this very specific kind of type of audience. Golf, golf, golf has been, uh, I mean, as, as strange as this uh, COVID experience has been, I mean, that's been a big issue, just unexpected, I guess. Complete breakout. So we again, that we were lucky on this one. So um, we, I was always bullish on the golf consumer. Uh, people who play golf also travel, also, also buy real estate, also buy luxury items, and they also fish, and they also um, ski, and they do a lot of things. So through this kind of lens of golf is kind of how we were going at it. Um, what has not been a positive story for the last decade has been the industry of golf. If you're building a business on growing rounds of golf that was a bad business to be in so that's why you see it on the equipment side you see it in the golf course ownership side those are tough businesses because you the pie was only getting smaller it's a big pie it's 24 million people in the u.s only but it wasn't growing to 30 or 35 million it wasn't going to covid changed that covid immediately you know first of all in the first way call it early march to april 15th Golf was deemed um, a necessary activity, an essential activity in 35 of our 50 states. So it was kind of like... Is that a governor decision? It's, a, it's a local government up to governor. Um, but, it, you know, governor and then usually the kind of local governments could kind of, um, could kind of interpret um, what that meant to them. But because it's outside, it's easy to social distance, it's green space... Um, you know, we were fortunate as an industry that it was deemed essential. What have been the, I mean, what's been the uptick in participation this year, right? In your estimation, I don't know. The so it jumped to, well, year over year in April, March, May, June. It's April, March, May. It was up almost 50%. This has been like 
slowly declined over decades. Around, around, decade, around play. Yeah. People kind of followed it with people. The number of unique players was up 30%. It's going to finish the year at 25%. And the, the awesome news about that is it's not just you and me playing more golf. It is your kid playing. Yeah. It's your daughter playing. It's my daughter playing. It's <clears throat> it's It goes across all um, black, white, kids, young, old. Like, we all kind of rediscovered this game. Yeah. And it's going to stick. For, it's going to stick. Um, well, it's interesting because, you know, because you know, you're down here for our World Capital invitation, which yeah. I haven't hosted in quite some time. We usually had this on the calendar for March. That got postponed until tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I'm surprised how many teams have come out. People come from Miami, and obviously you're from D.C., and a lot of different places, and even my family came in, and it's great. But, I mean, we've gotten more participation than I would have thought when I used to get in D.C., at, which was just a really important, yeah. so, which is nice. So it, it is it's changed. But what I think is interesting, and I was having this chat with my squad earlier this week, is you're thinking about going after and marketing and attaining the interest of this very unique population that really nobody's been able to sort of encapsulate, for lack of a better term. Um, but tell me about the digital media online or like, I view it as, Who's got the data for IP addresses, for example? Like AT and T knows my IP address. Why is that not shared with you as the marketing company? What's the rules behind all this? Realistically, it's eyeballs and it's attention. It feels to me like somebody's got every single person's individual identification online. So that is, of course, the reason why getting people online is really important. That's why any physical business needs a digital business because. Because of everything you said, you're able to kind of track them, track them everywhere. But let's take a step back. So there's there's some even before COVID, some really big macro <clears throat> um, macro issues in the digital world. First of all, it's the and it's driven by privacy policy, which is mostly positive. Um, but privacy policy has generally kind of dictated that the the level of targeted cookies. I mean, really kind of just boils down to cookies. What what companies can do with cookies really kind of just changes the landscape. And so the two big players in the space are Facebook and Google. They came out and they said, in a couple of years, um, we we hear you. We're going to respect your privacy. And therefore, the cookie data that we have on you now will not be used nearly as targeted in the way that, 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 it, won't, that, it, that it has been. Is, was that an internal decision or is there a congressional mandate? Like, I don't know. It's, there's both. There's political pressure for sure. But because Google and Facebook are the dominant players in the space, <clears throat> they will be able to turn this into their own, you know, th- now you will have to go directly to them for any kind of, um, if you want any sophisticated targeting going forward. So so let's just say, let's just call it this way, like third-party data, the ability to find Joe Warren and his very specific interests around golf and whiskey and um, kind of local to Charleston is going to be really hard to find via third-party channels in the future just if that's a year and or the third party would be everybody except for facebook and google no i would including facebook and google okay. so now flip that around to first party first party is you're coming directly to my website yeah and you are a part of my database and you've bought stuff from me and therefore i have a kind of an intimate quote um digital relationship with you i understand kind of what you like what you need when you need it those kind of so now the emphasis going forward is is more important than ever on first party data. So now you enter COVID. Enter COVID. What, so 
I just stated the obvious, right? First yeah. party data is really important. It's cheap to reach you if I know you. Yeah, yeah. Um, third party data, it's more expensive to reach you, but I've still been able to reach you. That's going to get harder and harder and harder in the future. So put those two things, those are the two ends of the spectrum. Now you take COVID, where you have, and all the studies are, you know, here's the great kind of quote from COVID is that we, we are where we thought we would. So if you take six months of COVID, March to September, those six months we have progressed where we thought we, it would take us 10 years in e-commerce and online transactions. So, so e-commerce has accelerated 10 years in six yeah, months. Yeah, it is a lot. Right? So you, you, you've heard that. And the front, the, the, you know, the front door into e-commerce is your website. So now it's going to be, um, it's more important than ever to, to do, to be really productive when somebody lands on your website and track them and get to know them and be authentic and be intimate and really kind of deliver them the things that I want. Um, there's a lot more traffic out there to go get. So there's a lot of urgency around going and getting it now. And then, oh, by the way, if you don't get it now, when there's more traffic than ever and the rules are about to change, you're really going to miss out on a major opportunity. This is going to be much harder to do in the next, in three years from now than it is right now. So that's that's kind of the the urgency around every single brand that is trying to appeal to a consumer. And Buffalo's ability is going to be able to help the companies that want to sell to those folks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's just so I just took fifteen minutes to explain. No shit. (laughs) It's really important to go direct to consumer as opposed to using intermediaries of any kind whether that be a digital intermediary like like Facebook and Google, which are always going to be part of the system, but it's still going to be, it's more important than ever to be direct consumer or like a lot of our clients who have relied on wholesale channels, green grass channels, retail outlets. Mm -hmm. Those are pretty disrupted right now. So you still have to be. But, and help me understand the basics of this. My phone has its own IP address. Is that right? Your computer has its own IP address. Your phone, yeah, yeah I guess if you're an IP, yes. Is that, I mean, is that right though? I mean, because AT&T device, they know my IP address. Yes. Like, they, they can't sell that to you at Buffalo Group and say, you're saying you're so, Joe. So there are, the answer is yes. I can buy you via a bunch of targeting vehicles. It's not necessarily AT&T, but there's, there are, um, there Axiom. For example, is a huge you know is a huge data is a huge data provider. Um, you've got you you almost are you familiar with the term programmatic buying? No, I love to hear it. All right, so programmatic pro, programmatic buying is I'm a brand and I want to reach this certain type of demographic. Yeah, okay. Um, I go to, to I go to a media buyer, a programmatic buyer. I go um, and I will place. I, I place my media buy with them, and then they go using all the data that they have access to, which includes all of your IP, your cookie data, your you know all of that, to go find you. Um, but do they know that I'm the name behind the IP address? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Like if you said, you know, I understand you want to reach a market or a group, but somebody's got my. I mean, isn't there a wall between my phone number or my IP address and you as the marketer or the company I'm buying stuff from? Do they know I'm Joe Warren to see that IP address on the computer? So. I am not going to proclaim to be a privacy expert. I don't either. Um, I think so, so we should edit this out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So I'm not, I'm going to stop counsel here and just say I can I can reach you whether I know I'm actually reaching Joe Warren or I'm reaching a golfer who plays 120 times a lot of times very poorly. <laughs> no, it's just an interesting concept, and I don't know the answer either. And I kind of looked into this stuff, but the reality is, I mean, AT and T knows exactly who I am as a customer. Why are they not allowed to sell that to Facebook or Google or Nike or somebody else? There's got to be some laws around that, which I don't know. There's, yeah. We'll just say yes. There's got to be. Oh, yes. Um, so tell me where you guys are going to have a buckle group in this new environment, because obviously. Pricing on private equities changed. Sales have changed. A lot of market money budgets got cut. I mean, you originally started this organization so you could acquire a variety of really interesting properties, which you've done a great job of in your first year and a half, which is, I, I congratulate you on, but that platform is different than it was in January. Fair? It is, for sure. I mean, we are still, we're still going to be opportunistic about those deals. I mean, our, 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 our plan has not changed in the way, in the sense that we are going to grow both organically and inorganically when we see the right opportunity. So we're not taking our eyes off the deals if we haven't, we haven't done one since since COVID. Although we're getting really close on 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 one and maybe maybe another one. So our our balance sheet is as strong as ever um, because we were able to we reduce costs, um, and so we're kind of managing to that. So it's kind of this two sided answer where we are going to run the core business um, as efficiently and effectively as we possibly can. But we see a real opportunity in the market to accelerate, you know, to take it, to take advantage of that. Again, we were, we were lucky or we had the foresight to believe in this audience and golf has really led the, led a lot of us into this kind of resurgence around the outdoors and the importance of space. And, and that has created a ton of value in when you look at kind of the explosion of second home real estate, which is not, which is a market that we operate in. If you look at kind of an explosion into kind of escapes to the mountains and, you know, which are resorts that we represent. So, um, so I think we're we're not backing off. We're not kind of retreating into kind of just survival mode. That said, we're being as smart as we possibly can. But there's going to be some marketing and other media agencies that are not going to be the same or a round at the end of the year. That's exactly right. I mean, it's exactly. Right. And that's happened in all kinds of issues. That see that a lot. We talk about that with our portfolio management. There are businesses that are not around. Right. That's right. I, I've been looking at. You know, we used to, we never, as you know, we never buy commodities, but people can buy commodities to invest in. We just don't because, you know, if I gave you a bar of gold or, you know, a bucket of oil, it's not going to pay you anything for you to own it for the next year. You're just hoping it's higher than it is today. Right. Versus a piece of real estate or the margins on equity because you're entitled to that or just a CD. At least you know the yield you're going to get on the asset. Commodities we don't do, but obviously oil comes down first before anything else does. It's funny when you look at recessions in the past, oil goes in 2008 oil from 120 to 30 before any of the housing market blew up. Mm. To the same 1999, to the same this past year oil that smoked in January, February of this year, maybe even earlier than that. We'd never buy the commodity, but we may buy the Exxon or the Chevron in the industry because we know how that business operates. They're in it. We bought a little Exxon this year at the bottom of what well, was close to the bottom of the March March numbers uh, and the recession there. I don't even call it recession, just the sell off of the marketplace. But we made a little bit of money, but we sold it because the landscape could be over changed forever. 
I mean, you see now, I mean, I drive a hybrid car, I have a golf cart, I spend maybe $30 a month on gas, and you have all these assets that, I mean, you can't divest it fast enough of your oil assets if that industry shrinks dramatically. So I see it in a bunch of different industries, and I see it in your industry too, I see it in my industry. You actually had a nice pickup of business this year because you've been so involved and attentive and been so active in our portfolio. But there are some money managers that are done. They're out. They're finished. And you see some books being sold online now. There were $100 million, now $25 million you can buy. And you're like, yeah, do you really want to buy a book that's down 75% this year? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how, I don't know exactly how it shakes out in the industry. But what I admire about you and the team would be Buffalo Group is you guys are, you know, active. Like you're in it. Yeah. Healing right now, which is says a lot for anybody at this stage. It's funny how this year proves people's perseverance and their personality is separated, you know, unmotivated from motivated. I guess. So. I think as a as a as a team, we are really focused now on. We've got to make sure that our our business is is ready to respond to kind of where the world is now. So here's a good example. We we did tons of brand work. We do, we're really good at it. We do tons of kind of awareness work around PR. We do a lot of digital work around search engine marketing. And some, but we did very little work around actually building websites and building e-commerce sites. Uh, we would always outsource that to some partners. So that is an example of like, that's a huge missed opportunity for us if we don't fill that void. So if we did acquire somebody or if we did kind of invest in talent, it would be to kind of plug that, yeah. plug that hole for us. In the past, it wasn't. You know, the past, in the past, we really focused on the brand work, which is the work that we're, you know, we've kind of grown up on. Now, we've got to get into the kind of plumbing work as well. So, so, so we are kind of, it has exposed us where we need, you know, where we, where we had holes and, and we will aggressively fill those holes. What, and I, I ask every, uh, everyone that's lucky enough to participate in this podcast, this question, like, the balance between, you know, family and two lovely children and you work hard and how do you what is the, the formula that's in your mind to work hard to achieve but also be attentive to your family see them grow it's a balancing act that I, I haven't found I don't want to say I haven't found the right answer I just think it's very different from the people I talk to yeah I mean you tell me if you got if you figure that <laughs> out if Keith knows it if he could just send me if he could, <laughs> he could just send me an episode one yeah <laughs> Uh, no, I think I will tell you that that to me is the biggest silver lining or blessing to this year versus last year. I was on the road 200 nights last year. It's impossible. There's, yeah. you're, you're, there's no effing way that you can be balanced and do that. Um, we all have an agreement with our my family. Everybody knows. I mean, my wife has a big job as well that, um, you know, we're kind of in an investment mode uh, right now in terms of what we're trying to grow. I'm not going to be able to be there for everything and so you know hopefully there's a payoff there's a payoff at, you know in the future this year there's there's no pressure to travel 200 nights yeah. a year and um my wife and i both work out of our home and we see our they're sick of seeing us and so <laughs> so i think um you know that's just one of those examples of that's probably changed forever yeah. i don't know that i'm ever going to hop on airplanes you know that much again well, we were just talking today because it's before now, we started as so we do our quarterlies, and I was like, I told Kay, I was like, just do schedules of meetings with every single client. And we're just doing our reviews online, and they don't want to see any person all that often, anyways. Yeah. And so, but I think that's going to be an advantage to, to all of us to some degree. Um, it's funny, when I did have Keith Kelly here, he had an interesting story to tell, which was 
and he had tried, and he tried to change the mortgage industry, the mortgage industry which is pushing a tough, tough industry around. And he had, I reset my rate on Friday. I reset it. So he had, um, he had, had been working at this hard and hard and hard, and all of a sudden, he's very spiritual and religious, and he, his wife told him one night, hey, listen, you tried a million different ways to do this, and, you know, on his interview, you'll hear it, he's like, one night, I just gave it up to the Lord, and the next day, things started getting better, and the company changed, and, uh, just thinking what we have now, and it was funny to see, so talking about people's path, his path is how faith-based is, and how much it matters, like, you don't work on Sundays. You take that day off. You see your family. You spend time with others, you know. You really give back. And he also mentioned in his interview that he stopped trying to, you know, he stopped trying to do everything himself. Like, he gave it, gave some of this up to just faith and fate. And it's not going to be perfect. And things have blossomed dramatically. I have a tough time with it. I've been evolving in this spirituality and faith and development of things outside of work. Like, you can be running money 24 hours a day nonstop on the news channel. It can never end, but I have to turn it off a little bit so I can do things that maybe matter more than money, which is really hard to say for me to say. <laughs> now, I'm, actually, I'm really glad you brought it up. I, I, I think I'm, I'm also on a bit of a spiritual journey myself. I was raised very conservative Christian um, environment. There are a lot of things, you know, as you go through life that you start to challenge and then you kind of go to the other extreme where I don't believe any of that. And now I'm really settling into or trying to understand, like, what I do believe. And you run your own company, I run my own company. When you do that, and, I, you know, it doesn't matter if you run your own company or not. When you're really, it, it is hard to kind of reconcile kind of thinking about work all the time having kids, and also, like, how does that fit in the context of what we're actually supposed to be yeah. doing in this world? And, um, and so... Values and where you spend, like, this, how big is your checkbook need to be? Yeah. It's a balance. And I'm, I'm in the money world. Like, my job is to make a checkbook bigger yeah. every day. So, it's very interesting. So, I don't know. That's that. a, that is a, that's a, that's another hour or two because it's, um, it's really important. It's really important. Do you find yourself and I've been searching for this a bit myself, and you'll see I've got some walnut equipment leaves and grass on my on my desk because I read that in the morning time to sort of remind me that hey, all this work I'm doing is I'm just sort of some cells on the planet. Let's be fair; like it's this is important. I want to do the right thing. I want to be as good as I can be, but I'm just one of a lot of things going on in this universe. So, um, but if you find yourself having any guidance or anybody you look up to or anything you read or you know, anything that takes your mind in the directions. A lot of times, you know, it's funny, I've got some friends, I take it, I take my health really seriously, other than the whiskey I drink. <laughs> um, but, you know, I work out a lot, I try to I get to the chiropractor once a week, get my spine straightened out, it really helps. I feel better now at 45 than I did when I was 30 because I just feel more attentive to it. Um, but a lot of these people that I do my health, my health stuff with are like, you should microdose. You know, you should take a little, you know, you need to take a little of this acid or else, whatever's in the microdose. Yeah. You yeah. just expand your mind and get off of this thing because you're going to be so much more productive. And I haven't done that. But there's a window of creativity or individual spirit or whatever comes out when you can kind of separate your, all of this traffic into some new thoughts. And I'm working on that. So I just wondered if you had anybody that has given you any insight or you find yourself in an environment or you like driving or golf maybe the answer I really don't know no it's a it's it's again a 
it's a it's a huge topic. So there's a great series of books. Stephen Kotler, I saw him speak a, a few years ago. He he's he's get he runs this um he runs this think tank called the Human Human Genome Project. Yeah, um, for that. Yeah, yeah, and it's all about kind of getting in the flow, and it's about kind of being a better version, of like an extreme version of yourself. And he grew up where his whole kind of path started when he was assigned as an ESPN reporter to to extreme sports um, to go follow the X Games, you know, the first X Games. And he was fascinated as he kind of charted these X Game athletes into the stuff that they do, like year over year. Like I'm going to get all this wrong, but let's say like the first year on some whatever super pipe skateboard thing, like nobody had ever done a 360. I know they've done a bunch of 360, but like, let's say that that, and then the next year they did a 540 and the next year was like, um, there's no possible way anybody could ever do a 720 and now they're doing 900. And so, and it's just the, the ability of these athletes to get to this extra gear. And then how do you transform that into, or translate that into what we do in work or what we do in other things? And drugs or kind of assisted, like, um, even the, even, you know, there's a, there, you know, how does a Navy SEAL unit operate yeah. kind of at this highest level? And, um, and there's no question that drugs, alcohol, sex, like there's a lot of spirituality. There's a lot of stuff that kind of gets us to a higher plane. Um, and so, um, uh, how do you kind of mix your appropriate quote cocktail to kind of <laughs> so I, I believe in what you're saying I don't I also you know I'm kind of I'm 54 years old I don't know that I'm going to go do a lot of experimental drugs kind of figure it out but it's compelling I'm not doing any LSD right now I'm just let you know but I should <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen <laughs> The Warren Capital <laughs> Invitational is going to be sold out for the next four years. But, you know, I just, I mean, there are people, and they, you know, they have this huge cannabis sort of like marijuana craze the last three or four years. It's funny because, you know, in 1933, there were 103 car companies. Now there's four, five. You know, two years ago, there were how many companies, you know, public companies that sell marijuana. Now they're basically done. Uh, so you see all this competition kind of the various arenas, but... Um, it's funny because my father is a neurologist and he, he prescribed drugs for a living, you know, and had to interpret people's spine and brain and uh, these chemicals interact. And he would always tell me, he's like, if there's any way you cannot take a drug, don't take it. And he did this for packaging. So he said, you know, once you get this stuff in your system, it's so hard to get it out of your system. And you see, you know, I was getting, I was going through a, you know, controversial or complicated divorce last year. And one of the main sticking points was I was not going to let, because I don't have any medical rights over my children. They have to be given one parent or the other, or it's kind of how the system works. So you can have medical rights. Um, but one of the stipulations in my agreement was that they can't be put on Ritalin or Adderall or whatever those drugs are called without two doctors signing off on it mm-hmm. instead of one. And that was a problem for it was an interesting problem. I was like, I'm not getting my kids addicted to this stuff because it's like pretty much guaranteed they're going to be on it by the time they're 12, even though they may not have any, you know, disorder that says they're all, you know, attention deficit disorder. So uh, we're the chemicals behind how you manipulate your natural state are a, a, a much longer conversation yeah. that we need some help on. <laughs> Well, um, only I think this would be great. The last question, and this is kind of a serious one. Um, have you ever thrown a golf club that's 
So I would I would ask I would answer that question with a question. So the answer is yes. <laughs> Probably the most embarrassing. So I have two. I have two. My two most embarrassing moments on a golf course. So I gave the beautiful story about how I was self-taught in golf. So my very first tournament as a thirteen-year-old. Uh, again, self-taught. Never been in a tournament before. Nervous as hell. Um, the guy is kind of telling the rules, and he says, "Like, okay, guys, here's the rules. We're going to play these this set of tees, and this is what we're going to do. Put everything out, and you can tee it up in the fairway." I'm like. Wow. See it up up in the fairway. This is good. What are you talking about, really? So the very first hole, you know, it was a shotgun start. on. I drive out to the, and there's two groups on every hole. I cold top my drive. So there's now eight people watching me hit my second shot from about 60 yards off. And I stick a tee in the ground, put a driver out there. (laughs) And the guy goes, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not what he meant by teeing it up. So I'm really embarrassed. I hit it. My next shot goes on the green. I mark my ball with a penny. Can't find the penny once I mark it. So I'm now, so I'm over here, like, trying to set the ball down somewhere, trying to fake it, and the guy goes, your mark is right over here. So I was kind of a disaster. The second most embarrassing, so that was pretty embarrassing, that first hole. Second one was my best buddy who is, uh, who's also, we, you know, he, he, he banks with you. He's also an investor in Buffalo and Jeff Renzulli. Uh, kind of a frustrating day where I, Took a big swing, let go of the club, kind of flew off my hand and into into his shin, which was kind of, he was standing about five yards away, which is certainly an embarrassing moment. Well, yeah. I, I would never do something like that, man. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. No, listen, I remember the Fourth Street days, and I I remember I, I think my most my most embarrassing story was it was such a small club of members, and I I, I took my driver and and I. <laughs> And I hit a bad shot. I didn't even hit that bad. It wasn't even my driver. I'd been in the fairway, and then I hit a bad seven iron. And then I tried to hit my bag, and I hit the top of all of my clubs. And all of my woods got cut off. So I put all of the all of the shafts in the trash can on the next tee box. And I got a phone call from a, a member at another golf course that afternoon. <laughs> I heard. You cut all your woods out, but I parted with three arms. So. I was actually playing with you that day, and I'm not even sure you realized, but the caddy circled around back to the trash can, grabbed all the driver heads, went back, stuck them in his bag. I'm sure he resold them later, but that was uh, that's a good story. I, I do remember you parting out with a three arm. Well, now that we've gotten older and a little wiser, I haven't, I, I haven't, I haven't snapped. A I know. I just can't. I don't understand lots. what was going on at four strings with the temper because I don't have it either. You got a chance to snap one tomorrow, though. Yeah, yeah, time, so. That is fun. Well, thanks, Cal, for joining us. You did great. We appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you too. Do that.